Good evening, church. My name is Danelle, and I'm a part of Focus. Today's reading will be from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 28, all the way to chapter 5, verses 4. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. This is the word of God. Thank you. Good evening, church. It is a great privilege to be able to open God's word for us uh, this evening. I must confess before we dig into it, uh, it's always hard when you know you have to deal with the topic of money and sex because you wonder what, what, what's new, uh, what, what is that thing new you're going to tell people because people almost know everything about it. Uh, but the good thing is we are looking at it from God's perspective, so we are looking for, from God's word. So at least that, that was a comfort for me that, you know, although there's nothing new that I will tell you tonight, but I'm pretty sure there's something that God wants us to learn from his word regarding money and sex. So let me pray for us as we dig into the passage that was read for us. Let's bow our head and pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that we will see you again. As the Lord and Savior, we pray that you will open our hearts and our minds and that you will speak to us. And Lord, as your servant, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable to you. O oh God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. So far in our series that we started uh, Two weeks ago, why church? We have answered uh, this very question, why church and what is church? And our series um, is a fancy one, and uh, Reggie actually found that name for us. So it's called obsolete or absolute church. Um, it's two English words that are really, they may sound the same, but they are totally opposite. So that's the series we are looking at. Uh, the past two Sundays, basically what they did to us, they set the ground for us to build on. So everything that will come after, starting today, will just be rooted in what Royden and Gareth spoke to us. You will remember that when uh, Royden was trying to answer the question, why church? He reminded us of God's bigger plan, which is that of bringing everything under the loving, gracious reign of King Jesus. 
put in other words, it's just that God planned from before time to unite his people under the headship of Christ. That's what God has been doing. How did he do this? He did this by sending his son Jesus in history. He came into this world. He lived. He died. God raised him from the dead. God seated him at his right hand, which is a position of authority and ruling. So that's where Christ is. And that's the greatest blessing that you and me can ever, ever think of. To be included into this God's bigger plan. So if you think like your life is disappointed, just remind yourself that God has included you in his plan in spite of who you are. Why church? Well, God is placing everything under the authority of Christ. And that's for our blessing and for his glory. So that's what Roden spoke to us two weeks ago. And then last week, Gareth was trying to answer the question, what is church? And when he did that, he gave us this fancy definition. I'll quote it exactly in his words. The church is God's united people, meaning us, people who trust in Jesus, under God's word. That means what unites us is God's word. And that God's word is being taught by his teachers. And as the word is taught, the church ministers to one another. And this results in the maturity in Christ. So what is church? Church is you and me. Sitting under the authority of God's word. As we minister one another. And the purpose of all that is so that we may mature in Christ. Already you can see that if you are here this evening, you should be excited about your identity. If you've come to trust in Jesus, you know that you have been included in this bigger plan, the plan that is beyond you, being part of God's family. This plan was initiated by the one who holds everything together, by the one who created all. So think about it. So you're just sitting here and you wonder, what am I doing here? Well, you are here because you are included in a bigger plan, a plan that is beyond you. God is putting everything under the headship of Christ. So God chose you before time in Christ to bless you in Christ as we sit under his word and minister to one another and the result being the maturity in him. And that's for God's glory. So it has never been about you, no matter who you are. It's for God's glory. And when you understand that, it gives purpose to your life. You know that you live for something that is big, beyond your small world. And that's why, as we sit here, we can call each other brothers and sisters in Christ because of what God has done through Christ. 
who would have thought that I could call someone from Limpopo a brother? I love people from Limpopo. Chipiu, I love you. God loved us the way we are and included you and me in his plan. And this offer extends. If you haven't come to trust in Jesus, well, the offer is there. Trust in him and you will be part of this bigger plan that God has done. So our topic this evening is church meets sex and money. And we try to look at it from the passage that was read for us. Just as I said earlier on, I may not tell you something new that you don't know, but when we put this in the context of what God is doing or what God has done, it will help you to see how you live your life in perspective of what God is busy doing in his world. Let me just tell you, when you read the book of Ephesians, from chapter 1 to chapter 3, what you find there is Paul is describing what God has done for Christians through Christ. So the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, basically it's a gospel. Paul is trying to explain what God has done through Christ. And then when you come to chapter 4 to 6, Paul talks about how Christians are to live because of what God has done for them. So basically, chapters 4 to 6 are a kind of application of how we should live our lives because of what God has done already. And our passage falls under this second part where Paul is telling the church that certain behaviors, certain practices shouldn't be seen among them. Why? He's telling them that as he reminds them that they are God's people because of what Christ has done. Because of what Christ has achieved on their behalf. And thus, their conduct should be different from the conduct of the world around them. We still live in this world. And that's a real challenge. Because this world has got so many temptations. You know when you are at work. Sometimes, it's easy to forget that you're a Christian just because of the environment. When you get to school, the environment is so different. Sometimes you try to hide. Just because the environment that you you find yourself in is against what you believe. But if you are a Christian, you are to be different. You are to live your identity. You know, I would rather call, not call myself a Christian and live like a pagan than call myself a Christian and don't don't live like one. So if you call yourself a Christian, you are at your workplace, there are some expectations from people. You're You're not living your Christian life because you want to please people. It's because you understand this bigger plan that God has done for you. And when you call yourself a Christian, you must live in a way 
that is appropriate to what a Christian is. This challenge is real. I remember growing up. On a very good evening, my late mom would just maybe prepare, you know, some maguinas for the family. You guys must know how maguinas are uh, tempting. You know, once you're addicted to them, you can't can't go back. So she would prepare them on an evening um, for us to have in the morning for breakfast and take some to school when we go to school. So imagine this scenario. Because I know how those maguinas are very tempting to me, I say I want to make myself strong and be able to resist the temptation of these maguinas. And this is what I will do. When everyone goes to sleep at night, I will wake up, I will go to the kitchen, I will open the container where they are, I will put my hands in, I will grab one, I will just smell and leave it in my hand. I won't eat it. And then after a while, I will put it back and go back to sleep. Do you think I'm able to win that challenge? So we live in a world that is so tempting. And two of the big temptations that we all face, it's sex and money. So for me, in that illustration that I gave, instead of waking up at night, how would I face that challenge? The wise thing to do would just be for me to sleep when everyone is asleep. That's, that's how one does it. Sex and money are real. They are big temptation to all of us. And why would I go and sleep and ignore everything else? First of all, because I know that. Either way, in the morning, I will have my share. Second, because I know that the parents made that, uh, the mom made those maguinas for us to enjoy because they love us. And third, I don't want in the morning when the people wake up, when they are giving everyone their share, some of my siblings to miss theirs, because I was trying to be the guardian of the temple the night before. So that's why I wouldn't do that. Now we come to sex and money. People say that most of people, they fall into this trap of sex and money. No matter where you are, who you are, They are real because we face them day after day. As we look at sex and money, these two serious temptations to all of us, we shouldn't let our God off. Our identity in Christ should define how we approach sex and how we approach money. So that's what will guide us in the way we deal with sex, in the way we deal with money. Otherwise, if we don't do that, they will destroy us. Let's first look at the problem of money. 
Take this from what we read, chapter 4, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may, he may have something to share with anyone in need. Do not steal. Remember the Eighth Commandment. Stealing has a wide spectrum. It goes from stealing money and possession from other people to tax evasions. Anytime one does not report his income to source, stealing apparently. Anytime when people dodge customs, it's stealing. Anytime when you borrow money from someone and you don't return it, it's stealing. Anytime when you don't pay your debts, you are stealing. Anytime as a business person, when you overprice items, you are stealing. Anytime when you use the employer's time for other things and deliver poor service, you are stealing. In your work contract, it says you are to work eight hours per day, but you hardly work for three or four hours. That's stealing. Anytime when the employer oppresses the employee, he is stealing as well. You know, we have this joke here at Christchurch Media, and especially from Martin. So whenever they used to ask him, so how many people work here at Christchurch Midland? He says, half of them. <laughs> if you don't get it, speak to him. He will explain to you what he means by that. And of course, you know what they say about people in ministry, uh, ministers and pastors. Uh, when they ask, you know, what do they do for the whole week? They say, you know, six days they are invisible. We don't know what they do. One day they are incomprehensible. When they stand on the pulpit, we don't know what they are talking about. <laughs> so that's just a joke uh, for the people in ministry. But what I'm trying to say here is that there's different ways that people steal. And the question is, most of the time, what makes us steal? Why do you steal? Or why do you take advantage of others? And of course, there are so many reasons. And if we were to deal with all of them this evening, we will spend the whole night here. But I just want to tackle one that is obvious, and that's greed. You know, greed is defined as an excessive desire could be of food, it could be of wealth, of possession, of material. That's what greed is all about. The temptations to steal someone else's property, which basically is depriving other people of what they have a right to. This temptation emerged because, as a fallen man, you and me, we always want more than what we have at the present time. And not only we always want more than what we have now, we also want more than others have. 
That's a problem. You and me, we want more than what we have now. It would have been fine if that was the case and end there. But it doesn't end there. I also want more than my neighbor or my friend has. That's a problem. So greed makes us more selfish than you and me can imagine. You remember these proverbs, it was by the Romans. Money is like sea water. The more a man drinks, the thirstier he becomes. So the more I have, the more I want. The more I accumulate wealth for myself, the more I hurt people along the way because of my selfishness. And the big question that is there and that I would love you maybe later on to give me an answer, I've never found an answer for it, is what is enough money? Think about it. What is enough money? When will I reach a point and say, I'm satisfied, I've had enough? We are not easily satisfied. I get this. The next thing, my lifestyle changes. I want to improve. I want to get more. I get to that level. Then it's not enough. Princess, go this. I also need to get that. What is enough money? And you know, greed, when it happens, it happens like instinctively. That's just how our sinful nature is. Most of the time, you and me, we are not aware of the sin of greed that is within us. Later on, I'll speak about sex. But you see, the sin of greed is different, for instance, from the sin of sex. When someone commits adultery or when someone commits fornication, you then say, wait for a minute, you're not my wife. Or wait for a minute, I'm still single. Of course, it's something that you plan. It's premeditated, the sin of adultery or any other sin. But when it comes to greed, most of the time, you and me, we are not aware that we are becoming greedy. And that's very dangerous. So greed proceeds in a gradual and subtle way. But the effects of it are very, very, very harmful. If this is what money and greed do, imagine if the whole church is characterized by greed, by people just wanting money. How will this church look like? Just think about it. If that's what we are all about here, money, all greedy, how will this church look like? Remember, Paul tells us to stop stealing and instead to work hard and give to others. And that's the antidote to greed. If you think about it, is to give away. Can I give it away? If you don't want to be under the bondage of money, just ask yourself, am I able to give it away? 
That's a big question. Am I able to give my money away to support the missions of the church? Am I able to give money away to support Nokupila? Am I able to give money away to support a church plant? Am I able to give money away to support the people who are needy among us? If we don't pay attention, greed can destroy us as individuals, but also as a church. I hope and now, just speaking of greed and money, you already understand why Paul wrote what he wrote to the church. Let's quickly look at our second point, the problem of sex. Chapter 5, from verse 3 to 4. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. So the Greek word for sexual immorality and impurity together cover every kind of sexual sin. And what I mean here by sexual sin is all sexual intercourse outside the context of a loving marriage in which God ordained. That's basically what sexual sin is. That will include adultery, which means for people who are married and who are having a relationship outside. That will include fornication for single people who are having sex and they are not allowed to have it. That will include homosexuality. So all that is part of that package, sexual sin. And you will notice here that Paul adds also covetousness, which basically is a jealous longing of somebody's, somebody else's body for self-gratification. That's what, when you covet, that's what it is all about. So Paul is saying that not only Christians should not indulge in sexual immorality, which is adultery, fornication, homosexuality, but also they should avoid thinking and talking about them in an inappropriate way. That's what Paul is telling the believers here. And you can see that he's setting the bar very high. Not only you shouldn't do it, but you shouldn't be making jokes about it because you don't know where those jokes will lead to. Why is Paul setting the bar very high? You remember the context in which he's writing to these churches in Ephesus in Asia. Sexual immorality was really, really bad in Asia. One of the Greek goddess called Artemis, known as Diana to the Ephesians, was the fertility goddess. And basically to worship Diana or to worship Artemis, people were supposed to be involved in all kinds of sexual practices. That's how this specific god of, or goddess of fertility was worshipped. All kind of deviation was done. So talking about all kind of 
sexual deviation was just a normal trend in the city. Basically, that's what was happening. And that was just normal in Ephesus. That's why Paul has to set the bar high. Don't do this because you are Christians. But also not just doing it. Don't talk. Don't make jokes about these things because they are serious. And if we are honest with ourselves, even as we meet here this evening, although we do not have Artemis or Diana, those goddesses that were worshipped by the people in Ephesus in Asia, we have our own goddess in our very world today here in Midland. And that's even worse. Just think about the misuse of the social media and internet. You have Artemis and Diana on your phone next to you. Think of how many lives have been destroyed just because someone clicked that button and porn came into his phone. Think of how many lives have been destroyed because of online sex trade. Think of how many lives have been destroyed because you just Google that place that someone told you and then you ended up there and that changed everything for you. The phone that you have, it's a good tool, but it can also destroy you. And I'm pretty sure later on when Garrett will be talking about social media, he will, he will speak about this. But yes, we have our own Artemis and Diana close to us. Think of those places where people tell you, don't even try to go there because that's just a vicinity of sexual immorality. We've all heard that. We know people have told that to us. And if that's the case, now think about this. If Paul, Uncle Paul, was to write to us today in our world, think of the strong words that he will use to warn us against this danger that is there close to us. Jesus went even far. It's not just about talking about it. It's not just about doing it. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 28, he says, But I said to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And I think for all of us, we need to be repenting each and every day because our hearts are sinful hearts. Sexual intercourse is between one man and one woman in the context of a loving marriage. We read that from Genesis. That's that the, uh, what the Bible tells us. Genesis 2, 24, 25. It's God's gift like any other good gift that God has given us. In fact, God is the one who invented sex. This gift of sex is to be enjoyed in marriage and marriage only. There's no other alternative. 
There's not that idea that I want to try it before I get married to see that it will work for me. That's not what the Bible says. I want us to see if we are compatible so that we can live together. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible is against that. And that's for our good. Marriage is a lifelong relation of faithfulness between a man and a woman. And of course, marriage is a safe environment where children are to be born. That's how God designed it. But we understand that our world is so broken. But this is what God designed for us. So no sexual intrusion must be seen in other people's marriages. If people are married, I must respect their marriage. There shouldn't be any intrusion in their marriage. Focus on yours. Leave others alone. Any sexual intercourse outside this context of marriage is immorality and should not characterize the church. And as I said earlier on, of course, this is nothing new. We've all heard this. But it is good to be reminded and to be reminded in the context that we are looking at it. Unfortunately, just like it were in Ephesus, our society has undermined and misused sex. Again, you just go to the social media and you see how sex has been used for all the wrong motives. Such is, you know, I, was, I just wanted some, uh, some mental relief or because I had some, you know, tension, physical tension. That's why I had sex, just to, to release, to, to get a relief. Sex has been used as a desire to control or a desire to humiliate other people. Sex has been used because someone said, you know, I just felt lonely and I just wanted someone to be with me. I had sex because, you know, I felt bored in whatever I was doing. I wanted to experience something new. All these motives, they cheapen sex and make it look ugly. Actually, if you think about it, that's not, that's not how God intended it to be. Casual sex will never fulfill God's ideal for sex. Never. It will never. It diminishes the meaning and the purpose of sex. Having said this, it's also important for me to mention that not all who wish for sexual partner or marriage can have one. But one thing for sure is that what God calls us to, he will enable us for. We have so many examples in the Bible. I always say every status is temporary. You can be married today and tomorrow you're single. Maybe a divorce or maybe your partner dies. You can be single today and tomorrow you are married. So what counts for you is to live your life where you are 
knowing that God wants you to be there now. Having briefly spoken about sex and about money, how does all these things now come together? How, do, how does the church meet them? Again, in chapter 4 and 5 of Ephesians, as I said, Paul is more concerned about the unity and the purity of the church. That's what Paul is concerned about. That is desire. The unity of the church. The purity of the church. Remember, this is not just a moral lesson that Paul is telling the, 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 church, the church in Ephesus. It's beyond that. Paul, what Paul is giving here, he told us that before time, God planned to bring everything under the headship of Christ. That's what the church is. That's what you and me are if we've come to put our trust. So we are under this bigger plan that God planned before time. And if it, this is what God is doing, then we must really have a high view of what God is doing to us in Christ. Our ways of living must really be different from the world around us. Because of what we are and what we have become to believe, we must have a specific way of living. We are to live as a Christians. We are to live a Christian life which is opposed to the pagan life around us. We shouldn't be conformed to the world around us although we still live in this world, in this pagan world. Remember, we are God's new society. We are, we are precious to him. So when he's telling you that, it's because he loves you, because you have to be different in this world. And of course, for us to mature in Christ, God has not saved us in isolation and just leave you there and say, Prince, you will struggle on your own alone. He has put us together as a church. That's why we can hold each other's hand. What do you think it means when we call each other brothers and sisters? Because we have to work this journey together. That's how God has designed it for us. So you are not saved in isolation. Four things I want you to remember as I close our talk this evening. First of all, always remember that we did not deserve to be part of all this God's plan. We did not deserve. None of us. Remember Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 1 to verse 2. We were dead in our sins and transgressions. That was our nature before Christ. So we did not deserve. It's not as if we are special. It's not as if, uh, treasure, you're a special person. That's why God wanted you in his family. No, no, no. You and me were dead in our sins and transgressions. But he loved us. He rescued us. So that's the first thing. The second thing, it's only by grace that we are part of God's family. Chapter 2 from verse 4 to 10. By grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. So we were dead. It's only by grace that we are part of his family. Third thing, now that we are part of this family, we are told that Christ himself is the head. So think about it. You are a body, Christ is a head. How does you as a body honor the head, which is Christ? 
especially looking at sex and money, how do you honor the head, which is Christ? Fourth, we are also told that the Holy Spirit lives within us. And every time we sin, whether it's a sin of greed, whether it's a sin of sex, what do we do? We grieve the Holy Spirit that lives within us. And my prayer for all of us here this evening is that God may help us as his new people. I hope we understand who we are. We are his precious new people to bring unity and purity to his body as we fight the sexual immorality and greed and we want to mature in Christ, in him who has saved us. That's my prayer for all of us. Remember I said at the beginning that I may not tell you something new that you have not heard before, but all that I want you to remember is the bigger plan that God has and he has included you as individual into his plan. And he wants you to live a different life when it comes to sex, when it comes to money. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for rescuing us. We thank you because you came into this world to die on the cross for our sins. And Lord, we know that we are sinners. Uh, we sin each and every time, especially as we focus on the sin of sex and greed. Lord, we pray that you will help us through your Holy Spirit uh, just to, to fight this temptation in our lives and to rely on you to help us. And thank you because you brought us as a family together where we can talk to one another, we can encourage one another uh, to walk this journey. So Lord, we want to commit ourselves to you. We know that we are not perfect, we are sinful people, but we know that you have loved us and we are part of your plan. So will you please help us as a church to love one another, be united around you and to seek purity of your body that we are. And thank you for your great plan, Lord, um, that includes us in spite of who we are. Lord, we just want to commit this week, we're about to start before you. Please help us to live for you, to stand for you, and to witness for you, and to speak for you wherever you've placed us. All these things we pray in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus and for his sake. Amen.